Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. Hi, guys, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. We have a bit of a different format today because, well, it's 2020 and everything is a bit different these days. Am I right? But one thing that hasn't changed, that's me here talking about leader. Now, I live in California where the surge in COVID cases has brought about another quarantine. So while I usually have a co-host with me, considering the reinstatement of lockdown, I figured, hey, I have enough words for two people, so why not go it alone? And uh, that basically brings us up to date to where we are now. Just a few housekeeping things. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you do like the podcast, please tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies. Because, as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. The fantastic news I have to share is that we can finally be found on Apple Podcasts. It only took a year, which was rude of Apple, but whatever. I get it. It's not like the majority of the world's population is clamoring for German leader knowledge, although they should be. As always, the podcast can also be found on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you pod. Also, you can find me on Instagram on my new account, at LeaderNerd, where I have been posting some cool virtual collaborations with friends, as well as some little mini lectures about various songs. So check it out today we are talking about a fantastic song, perhaps my all-time favorite song. Uh, But to be honest, I've put off writing and recording this episode because, well, if I'm being perfectly honest, I just didn't want to mess it up. But I figured it was time to get over that ridiculous and soul-crushing character flaw of mine and soldier on. So, the song we are covering today is Schubert's setting of Der Zwerg, text by Matthäus von Collin. Guys, this, this is dramatic stuff. The place to start today is with a summary of the story, so hold on to your hats, kids, because this is a wild and spooky ride. In the dim light of twilight, the mountains have already faded. We see a boat gliding on the glassy sea. It is the queen with her dwarf. She looks up at the high arching Milky Way above her. In the blue distance, it is woven with light. She addresses the stars. Never have you lied to me, stars. I see that I will soon vanish. You have told me so. 
and indeed I will gladly die. As she beholds the doom written in her stars, the dwarf steps up to her. Weeping, he wraps a red silk cord around her neck. He weeps as though he would go blind with grief. He speaks, you yourself are to blame for this because you have forsaken me for the king. Now it is your death alone that awakens joy in me. I will forever hate myself that with this hand I have brought about your death, but you must succumb to the grave. She lays her hand on her heart, a heart that is still brimming with young life, and from her eyes flow heavy tears, tears that she hopes flow to heaven as prayers. She tells the dwarf that she hopes he has no sorrow from her death. He kisses her pale cheek as her senses fade. The dwarf watches as death comes upon her, and then with his own hand, he lowers her deep, deep into the sea. His heart burns with longing for her. He will never again place his foot upon dry land. Ooh, creepy, right? But so, so good. So let's dig in. You may have noticed that this is a ballad. What's a ballad? Well, the simple definition is that a ballad is folk-like narrative poetry. So, you know, instead of contemplating our feelings as we see them manifested in nature or exploring the imagery of the natural world in a philosophical manner, we instead have a narrative to follow. And in this particular case, our narrative takes the form of a horror story, sort of like Erlkönig. But... Often, there is more to a ballad than just the simple narrative. And as we get into things, you'll see that Der Zwerg is more than just a spooky story to tell around the campfire. Now, God bless her. The song goddess, Susan Ewens, has written an absolutely incredible and very lengthy article on this song entitled Of Dwarves, Perversion, and Patriotism, Schubert's Der Zwerg. Now, if you ever wanted to feel deeply informed about Der Zwerg, I highly recommend going and reading this article immediately. Many points we will discuss today were inspired by her article, so thank you, Susan Ewens. Leading up to the time of the poem's writing and publication, which was about roughly 1813-ish, historical dramatic literature was praised as a way for a country's population to learn about, quote, the glory of their ancestors. It was the means by which they could find their national soul, unquote. Thank you, Ms. Ewins. Indeed, the poet, Colin, was a member of a group of writers who strongly believed that the writing of historical dramas and ballads was a tool to be used for education of the population and the arousal of nationalistic fervor. This same group also extolled the virtues of an alliance between historians, literary writers, and the state for the purpose of finding a unified national soul. Another member of this train of thought was William Schlegel, 
Uh, now, Schlegel wrote that it was only in the mirror of historical drama that the, quote, poet lets us see, though it be to our deep shame, what the Germanic people were of old and what they should become once again, unquote. The historical novelist, Caroline Pichler, who held regular salons to foster an atmosphere where these ideas could be explored, wrote that people sought strength and comfort in the past. Colin himself felt that it was art's highest duty to hold up a mirror to the people. So let's talk about Colin for a minute. Colin, though he was a leading literary figure of the time, he was a writer of not too remarkable talent, and for the most part, his work has not stood the test of time. Even our poem, Der Zwerg, falls a bit short of the mark and is dependent on Schubert's setting to infuse it with the electric excitement that we love so much about it. Colin was, however, a distinguished literary critic and completed a doctorate in law and went on to become a professor of aesthetics and history of philosophy. And here's a fun fact for you. He later tutored Napoleon Bonaparte's son. In Schubert's setting, right from the beginning, you will hear the quality of the water in the right hand. It is glassy, like the text says. The placidity is deceptive, though, and we can hear that there is some sort of terror underneath. This sort of reminds me of um, Schubert's Auf der Flusse, uh, where the outer sort of seemingly calm facade conceals a raging torrent underneath. I think it's the same sort of effect in the music. The time of day is twilight, and the symbolism of that is that we know we're approaching the end of life or the crossing over into death. The queen's earthly time is about to draw to a close. Now, let's talk about the dwarf. Why is she with a dwarf? Why not a servant? Or a knight? A sailor? The royal cook? Look, I'm just asking. <laughs> well... In German literature slash folklore, dwarves were said to live in mountains under the earth. You'll remember the reference to the dim mountains in the twilight at the beginning of the story. And as mountain dwellers, dwarves are therefore associated with death, night, and the underworld, hence him being the one to usher her from life into death. Perhaps helpful in shedding light on the nature of choosing a creature with a deformity, I'd like you to consider this quote by Wolfgang Kaiser. Just as the sublime guides our view toward a loftier supernatural world, the ridiculously distorted and monstrously horrible ingredients of the grotesque point to an inhuman, nocturnal, and abysmal realm. And that's taken from his writing, The Grotesque in Art and Literature. Dwarves were also often associated with erotic matters. Susan Hewins brings these two points to a fascinating union by pointing out how these two, the grotesque or the abnormal, and the erotic are often intertwined because of the overwhelming desire to fully know something 
in the carnal sense. This intertwining of sexual desire, deformity, and death may have spoken to Schubert, as he was most likely newly aware of his illness. There is something striking about the queen accepting her death, her fate, in a regal manner. And, you know, perhaps Schubert hoped to embody that same stoicism when it came his turn to reckon with what was written in his stars. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the red silk cord that the dwarf ties around the queen's neck. So as I was researching, um, you know, of course, I came across mythology, as one does. And I always find mythology fascinating to ponder when contemplating these sort of hidden things that are hidden within poetry. And this seems, well, relevant. So bear with me here. Norse mythology tells of the goddess Freya, who, after dreaming of a golden necklace, travels to a cavern where she finds dwarves forging said necklace. When asked how much for the piece of jewelry, the dwarves reply that no money could possibly pay for it. But if she sleeps one night with each of the four dwarves, then the necklace will be hers. So it's interesting because here again, we have a woman of some power or lofty position. We have dwarves and a neck adorning item all connected through erotic perversion. I just think that's so fascinating. As we discussed earlier, ballads of the late 18th and early 19th centuries were often inspired by actual scenes from history. So if Colin practiced what he preached in the writing of this ballad, the red cord around the neck could be reminiscent of the beheadings that had happened in France a mere two decades earlier. This is unbelievable. There were over 17,000 beheadings during the Reign of Terror from 1793 to 94. And guys, this is just so bizarre. But in France, there was even a fad where people would dress up for a ball, you know, just like in Cinderella, except instead of a ball gown designed by their fairy godmother, people would shave their heads at the nape of their neck and then tie a red cord around their necks. Then, when greeting each other at the ball, they would quickly drop their heads as if beheaded. Which just confirms to me that people were just as weird back then as they are today. So, you know, not much has changed. Further, much like the queen in the poem... An Austrian princess, Maria Antonina, who we know as Marie Antoinette, had forsaken her homeland to marry King Louis XVI, and she is later killed. So make of that what you will, but I find it fascinating to contemplate. Um, now, it really is a strange aspect of this poem that she accepts her fate. She doesn't even try to argue with the dwarf when he accuses her of having forsaken him for the king. So, were they lovers? Why does she go so willingly to her death? This poem just leaves so many questions unanswered, uh, leading us to recognize that this small vignette is really just part of a larger narrative that remains a mystery to us. It's really quite maddening, but I love it! So, a few things to listen for in the music. 
Throughout the entire song, the tonality violently changes, helping us to viscerally experience the violence enacted upon the queen. And I mean, firstly, we are aware of this as an intention, like sort of in the background. And then realization slowly creeps in that we are actually going to witness the climactic event of this neo-Gothic horror show. Another interesting aspect to consider is the fate motive, presented thusly. It pervades literally the entire song, though in different manifestations, sometimes foreboding, other times erotic, um, sort of reminiscent of Schubert's Zuleika, which also has a similar rhythmic pattern. And then, yes, of course, later it also turns violent. You'll notice that this motive is very much like the motive from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, long associated with fatalistic sentiment. Here's Schubert. Here's Beethoven. Here's Beethoven. Here's Schubert. Knowing how much Schubert revered Beethoven, well, there's no way to know if he drew literal inspiration from the older composer's work, it's nearly impossible to think that he penned this song without at least thinking about it, right? And interesting to ponder are the two perceptions of fate in the song. The queen sees her fate written in the stars as if she is powerless to change it. The dwarf counters this with the accusation, you yourself are to blame for forsaking me. So he's not consigning it to what the stars have written. He is accusing her for bringing this upon herself and upon him. Now, I know I mentioned before how the poem really depends on Schubert's setting to electrify it. And that really is true. The way it just reads straight off the page without the music, it's a bit flat and monotone. And Schubert chose to accentuate specific words within the text, words that we really wouldn't read in that way if we were just reading off the page without the music. So that's another super interesting thing to listen for. Now, I don't want to give away everything that you're going to hear in the song. I am really excited for you guys to hear this recording of me at the piano and my friend, mezzo-soprano, Emma Nikolovska. Emma is just a dear, dear friend of mine and one of my very favorite collaborators. Uh, we worked on this song together when we were both students um, at the same school together. And uh, we had the chance to perform this, uh, you know, a few different times and each time, Emma just brought so much drama and thrill to it, and uh, you'll be able to hear that in, in her voice. So, um, without further ado, Schubert's Der Zwerg.
Thank <laughs> you. 
gives me chills every time. You guys, how amazing is Emma? Oh, just so stunning. Well, thanks so much for joining us here today on Follow the Leader. I've been your host, Mandy Madrid-Sikich. Please, if you like what you heard today, share it with your friends. And if you don't, share it with your enemies. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at LeaderNerd. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.